We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Boy, thank you so much, Joe, for leading us in song this morning. I don't know about you, but the last couple of years, I would say that worship song is certainly one that has just blessed my heart so many times to think of his love for us. And that title, I don't know if you've stopped to think about the word reckless. We often think of the word reckless as something sort of negative. It's, it's, um, it's like something that doesn't have a purpose. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. And to us, when someone is reckless, they're not thinking it through. But it's only God's reckless love from our perspective. His love is so amazing. And the fact that, that he would care about you and me when we were still his enemies, when we were at total odds with him, he would love us so much and care for us. That's what makes it reckless because I can't understand it. And if you're honest about it, you can't understand it. His love is so, so amazing. This morning, I want to thank Pastor Mike for the privilege of being able to bring the word today. Called me midweek and asked me because of his diagnosis and because he wasn't feeling well if I would preach. And the last time I preached was at the end of June last year. So that was about six or seven months ago when I finished up my pastorate there in Pennsylvania. Uh, like all of the churches across the country at that time, we were online for a couple months, uh, two or three months there, and all of our services were virtual. So I've had a little bit of experience with this sort of a, of a setup. I also want to thank all of you who are part of the gathering for welcoming Susie and I um, over these last months. We have enjoyed worshiping with you. We've enjoyed getting to know uh, you week after week as we've been uh, getting to know more folks and getting to know you in a, in a better way. Like the gathering, uh, we pastored a church back in Stevensville, Maryland many years ago that was also a church plant. So I have a little bit of experience with the church plant setting. I know that people who get involved in a church plant, uh, planting a brand new church in an area, they make certain sacrifices. They really do because it's not an established church. It hasn't been around for 40 or 50 years and everything is set up the way, you know, we kind of expect it. But there are, there are major challenges to being part of and getting involved in a church plant. So I want to commend each of you who are watching this, who have been a part of the gathering for the last two years. Um, I, I, I just want to thank you for sticking with it and being faithful because the fact is the local church, whether it's a, a church plant that's only been around for a couple of years or a church that's been around for a hundred years, the local church is God's divine plan. It's the way God grows his people and it's the way God reaches a lost world. And so what the gathering is doing is part of the kingdom of God, a very important part 
of the kingdom of God. I also want to thank Pastor Mike for challenging us to memorize Romans 8 this year. I don't know how you felt about it when you first heard that, but a whole chapter, are you kidding me? You know, it's like one verse is, one or two verses is enough, but, but an entire chapter, because I got to be honest, it's been a while since I consistently and systematically memorized uh, God's word. And it isn't easy, is it? For those of you that have jumped in and are really making that effort, uh, it isn't easy to memorize, but let's keep it up. I challenge, I urge you to keep it up because it is worth it. Um, when we fill our minds with the scripture, there's so much around us today. There's so much in our culture that is negative, that is fear producing. It's imperative for us as God's people to fill our minds with God's encouraging word, with the eternal everlasting truth of the word of God. There's so many benefits to knowing and obeying God's word. And one of those is that when we know the scripture, we know what we believe. We don't think or hope, but we know. We have confidence. Our culture today is so saturated with what is called relativism. You know what that is? Relativism is basically the notion that there is no absolute truth. You have your ideas. I have mine. Everybody has their own opinion. And unfortunately, in our culture, it seems like each person's perspective is supposed to be equally valid. Well, we know that's not true, but for the follower of Jesus, we are committed to the absolute truth of God's word. And we can say with confidence, this book, the Bible, is not just man's opinion. It isn't some human theory. This is the truth. And I am so grateful for that. And I know you are too that we can know the truth because Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many of you are aware that uh, about a week and a half ago, January 24th was the March for Life 2021. My wife and I have had the privilege a number of times because we lived in Maryland. We were just uh, 40 minutes away or so from DC and we could drive in and be part of the March for Life on a number of occasions. And so in keeping with that important annual national event, I want to remind you today of one of the most basic truths of God's word. Some would say again today in our culture, the way it is that this truth is just your opinion or my opinion. Some would say it's a matter of political debate. And yet God's word is extremely clear that human life is precious. That's the truth I want us to zero in on this morning as we read God's word. Human life is precious. I want to go back with you to Genesis chapter 1. Would you turn there with me if you have your Bible there at home and you would like to read along. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. And then I'm going to read one verse out of chapter 2 of Genesis. And then we're going to go over to chapter 9. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We go over to chapter 2, verse 7, and we find another uh, part of the creation story about specifically the creation of man. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Now over to chapter 9, 
And this is right after the flood. And Noah and his family have gotten off the ark. God has spared their lives, obviously. And um, God made a covenant with Noah right after the flood. If I can get these pages to turn. Genesis chapter 9, verse 5. This is part of the covenant that God made with Noah. God said, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Father, we pray right now that as we have the privilege once again of opening your precious word, your eternal truth, you said uh, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So as we open this book once again, speak to us, Lord. So grateful that each one within the sound of my voice over uh, this electronic technology that we know according to your word, that each of our lives are precious. They are precious to you, and our lives need to be precious to each other. So thank you for this truth, and I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus declared in John 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, or as some translations say, abundantly. Now, who is they there? Who is Jesus referring to when he says that they may have life? Obviously, he's talking about all people who live on earth, everyone who has physical life and breath. So it's obvious to me that before we can have abundant life, before we can have spiritual life, we must possess physical life. That means that each and every physical life is precious to God because he made each person to have a relationship with him. That's an amazing thing about you and me. Jesus said many things about physical life in the New Testament. Jesus, just prior to healing the man with the shriveled hand, you may remember that account in Luke 6. It was a Sabbath day. All the religious leaders were gathered there. They were waiting to see if Jesus would, would heal somebody. And so Jesus asked them this rhetorical question. He said, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Now, that's a pretty simple question if you think about it. According to God's word, obviously, it's better to save life. Why? Why is that better? Because life is precious. In Luke 12, 23, our Savior stated this. He said, life is more than material things. All the things we might accumulate, life is more than that. Why? Because life is precious. I think of John chapter 8 when Jesus stepped in and defended that woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And all, again, all those religious leaders gathered around. They wanted to stone her. That's what the law says. She must pay with her life. Why did Jesus step in and stop it? Why did he defend her? Because her life was precious. Why did the Good Samaritan stop and help the man who had been beaten and left by the road for dead? Remember Jesus told that famous story of the Good Samaritan, he stopped and helped that man because life is precious. The disciples were in a storm. Remember, they were with Jesus in the boat in the Sea of Galilee. The storm came up and they were all afraid because they thought the, the boat would capsize and they would all lose their lives. 
Why did Jesus calm the waves? Because their lives were very precious to him. And so this morning, I want to go back to the very beginning of life on planet Earth. We just read these verses from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 9. And I want to use this scripture to answer the question, why? Why is life precious? First of all, life is precious because God made you and me. He created everything, as we read in those first couple chapters of Genesis. He made everything that's around us. But among all those things, he created every human being. Now, if you know the word and you belong to Christ, you have a relationship with him. Obviously, you know that's true. Many of us would say, duh, of course, God created everything. But that is not an assumption that's made by the world around us, as we know. Many schools teach that, that God didn't create everything. God didn't create you and me. We are a product of evolution. Many in our world today wouldn't even acknowledge that mankind is some kind of a special part of all that is around us. No, we're not, not anything special. But the truth from God's word is we are the most significant of all of God's creation. You and I, in fact, have intrinsic value because the creator made us with many unique qualities that nothing else in creation has. We're going to get to those in a moment. But I want to look at that word intrinsic for a moment. What do you mean intrinsic value? Intrinsic means built in. It means essential. It means inherent. So you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn your value in God's eyes. You have tremendous value simply because the one who made you and me said so. Right here in his word, he said so. We go back to creation this morning again in Genesis. You know, we talk about origins, the origin of life. And I, I like this comment from the Life Application Bible. It says, the biblical view of creation is not in conflict with science. Rather, it is in conflict with any worldview that starts without a creator. That's what Genesis says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so any, any view that says there was no creator is in conflict with the biblical view. The Bible clearly says that we are not a product of random chance. We are not a product of, of, uh, of probabilities. We didn't just happen because of the process of evolution. God created this world and God created you and me. And not only did he make us out of nothing, he made this creation out of nothing, but he has chosen to reveal himself to us. That is, that is an amazing thing. That as we understand the divine nature of God, he is a God and his deepest desire is to establish a love relationship with us with you and me. He wants us to know him and he wants to know us intimately. And we can know a, a very, in a very personal way, the God who created us. I don't know if that ever strikes you as something that is amazing, that the God of the universe wants to know me. He wants to know Tim Allen. He wants to know you. Jesus prayed in John 17. I love this part of that great prayer. The whole chapter is basically a prayer, John 17. But Jesus said to his father, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. 
The way to have eternal life is to know God. But how can you know God? How can you and I know Him? It begins with recognizing that He loves you and me with an everlasting love. He loves us. And He loves us so much. How do we know for sure? How do I know that my life is precious to Him? Because He sent His only Son to come to this earth and die on a cross for our sins. And you see, once you and I recognize that amazing truth that He loves me more than I can ever imagine. It's a, it's a reckless love, as we just sang a moment ago. Once I recognize that, then I am ready to trust Him. You can trust someone that you are convinced really loves you. And the Bible says, if you've never trusted Jesus, you need to trust Him. You need to trust Him to forgive all of your sins. You need to trust Him to lead your life. And not just today, but for the remainder of your days on this earth, that you want to follow Him. That commitment means that you will have eternal life. He made you and me so that we can know Him and so that we can live for, with Him forever in heaven. What, a, what an amazing love He has for us. So life is precious because God made you and me. But notice something else in Genesis 1.27. It says, He made you and me in His own image. If we were going to unpack that little phrase, the image of God, that would take us much longer than we have this morning to unpack that. But I want to just whet your appetite because if there is a, is a concept that would be great for every one of us to dig a little deeper into on our own, to study God's Word, to find this out, this would be it. What does it mean that it says in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image? Now, the simple fact that he made us ought to be enough to convince us that every human life is precious. But now add to that fact that he made us in his image. Often you look at the label of products. I don't know, for some people, they like to buy things made in America. That's just the way it is. I want to know that it was made right here in the USA. You look at the label made in America. You look at another product that might say made in China. It might say made in Thailand. But the label on every human being says, made in the image of God. That's what scripture says here. And what does that mean? What does it mean? It means that you and I have qualities that are unique, that nothing else in all of creation has these qualities. Let me mention just a couple of them. One would be reason. We have a mind. We have an intellect. We can think through things. In fact, Jesus, when he gave us the greatest commandment, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your mind. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians 2 where we read that followers of Jesus have the mind of Christ. As human beings, we have a mind, we have an intellect, we can reason. Something else that we have that nothing else in creation has, we have the ability to create ourselves. We have creativity. Now, God is the only one, as we see here in Genesis, who can make something out of nothing. All he said was, let there be. And it happened. It was. But God has gifted us. God has gifted mankind with the ability to take what he has already put here and arrange it or rearrange it to make something that's new. At least we look at it and we say, well, that's new. I've never seen that before. My brother 
Jim, one of my older brothers, is, a, is an artist. In all of his adult life, he has been uh, creating art. He, he paints oil paintings, and they're, they're just amazing. I think of our musicians that lead us in worship every Sunday morning, like Joe led us a moment ago. You know, to, to play an instrument, to sing, to, to sort of, we call it making music. It's a gift, and there's a creativity that's part of that. Thank God that that's, that sets us apart. Another quality God's given us that sets us apart is speech. We have language. We have verbal communication that we can, we can communicate with another. That's, that's unique to man. Now, while all these characteristics set us apart from animals and plants and even the vast expanses of the universe, there's so much more to the image of God. Being created in God's image really affects my entire being, your entire being. Bearing God's image means that you and I are capable of a relationship with the God who made us. We've said that before, and I want to say it again. We can enjoy a relationship with God when we trust His Son, Jesus. And, I, and if you've never done that, today is the day to trust Jesus as your Savior, to invite Him into your life and trust Him to forgive you. But you know, bearing his image also means that if I have trusted him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can reflect his character. He can literally live his life through me. Paul expressed this so well in Philippians chapter 2. Would you turn over there with me, please? The book of Philippians uh, chapter 2. And I want to just read a couple of verses there. Philippians 2. And verses 14 and 15. Notice it doesn't say that we are supposed to just get by from day to day as followers of Jesus. Just, just barely make it through the day. No. Notice what the scripture says here. Philippians 2 verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Now I have to stop right there. Because that's something I struggle with. I don't know about you. But I'm, uh, I, I contend to be a complainer sometimes. And boy, that really speaks to me. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Notice, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Shining like bright lights. Think about that. That by the power of the Spirit, as we ask God to fill us with His Spirit each day, we can reflect His character. That's part of the image of God. We can shine love to people who may not love us in return. We can shine joy in a joyless world. We can shine peace, as Joe just read about earlier in the service. We can shine peace in a world where we don't see a whole lot of peace around us. But we can reflect His very character. And then think about the image of God as it affects our self-worth. Our culture does seem to put an emphasis on your self-worth, your self-esteem, how important that is. Well, when you think of our world system, what do they base self-worth on? Or what do people generally say are the factors that determine our self-worth? They usually say it's a matter of our possessions, don't they? It's a matter of our achievements. If, you have, if you've achieved a lot, you have greater self-worth. Or if you are physically attractive, you have greater self-worth. And yet we know that all of those things 
If our worth is based on those temporary measurements, it's not going to last very long. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Those things can change in a heartbeat. But the solid foundation of true self-worth is the fact that I have been made in the image of God. He has made me in his image. And that fact means only God can give me worth and no one can take it away. Just another reason why we can say without hesitation that life is precious. So far in Genesis, we have acknowledged that human life is precious for two reasons. Each person who's ever lived on this earth is precious because we were made by God. And secondly, because we were made in the image of God. But in that second chapter, notice there's another reason that human life is precious. Life is precious because God has also given us his spirit. Genesis 1.30, if you read more of the account of the creation, it says that all the animals which God created had the breath of life in them, all of them. And that word, that Hebrew word is nephesh, and it means the life that is, is enjoyed by both man and animal. It's something that all living things share, not just man. But we come over to Genesis 2-7 and we find a powerful statement that again sets human beings apart, makes us different, makes us unique, makes us precious in God's sight. When God spoke all the rest of creation, he just spoke it into existence, didn't he? God said, let there be. But when he made man, notice verse 7 of Genesis 2, he formed the man from the dust of the ground. And notice he breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That living being, another way to translate that is a soul. You and I have a soul. And there is no question that when God made us, when God created man, he became personally and intimately involved. That word formed, we see, is so much more than simply speaking words. And the concept of breathing into Adam's nostrils speaks of a special type of creation. God has given you and me as human beings a spirit and that spirit gives us the capacity to know God. Gives us the capacity to have a relationship with him. The New Testament repeatedly refers to the human spirit. And it says in Romans, as we have noticed recently, that our spirit was dead in sin, but we have been made alive through faith in Christ. Pastor Mike just preached on that last Sunday morning from Romans 6. If you remember verse 4, I want to share that with you again. Romans 6, 4, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Our spirit is made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Paul's final words to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, here's what Paul wrote. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Notice. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul adds this, and the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. It is our spirit, is that spiritual part of us that makes us unique from all creation. 
Truth is that without a, a spirit, if you and I did not have a spirit that God gave us, we could easily be described in simple biological terms. We're just a mass of cells, molecules, tissues, organs. That's all we are. And we have a few animal instincts. But we are so much more than that. And that's why life is precious. The value of, that God places on you and me as human beings, the value he places on us is so clear in the Bible. That's why we use the word sanctity often. The sanctity of human life. Sanctity means holiness. It's sacredness. It's something set apart and consecrated to God. We see a great illustration of that in uh, the great novel by Victor Hugo. I know many of you love that timeless classic, Les Miserables. It began as a novel, obviously, in recent years, been made into several movies, stage productions. But among other themes in this novel is the amazing story of grace. And if you know the story, you may recall the scene where the prisoner, Jean Valjean, uh, has been just been released from prison. Uh, the, a local priest has allowed him to stay overnight and get shelter in his uh, a rectory. And so he stays there, but in the night he realizes that the, there's some silver in the house that the priest has. He steals the silver and heads out into the night. Well, it isn't long before the authorities catch up with him. And they, they obviously know the silver doesn't belong to this ex-prisoner. They take him back to the priest and and uh, they're, they're assuming that he'll be sent back to prison immediately. But the priest does something that no one expects. He actually shows mercy and grace. Rather than seeking justice, he says to those authorities, those, those officers, I gave him that silver. It's his. Why did he respond that way? Because the priest knew that Jean Valjean's life was more precious than the silver. It was more valuable. His life was precious. So we see here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, life is precious because God made us. God created us in his image and he gave us a spirit with the capacity to respond and have a relationship with him. But we also read Genesis 9, a very sobering passage. The two verses we read there. And there God declared that anyone who kills another human being is taking the life of one made in God's image. Is that serious? That's very serious. As, you, as we saw in the, the scripture there. God calls us. He commands us to recognize his image in every human being, even from the moment of conception. So I want to close with a tremendous psalm. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 139. I want to turn there with you. This is that psalm where God declares, uh, or David declares, God's absolute knowledge of everything, of everyone. We call it God's omniscience. That's the sort of the fancy word for it. David says early in this psalm that God knows where we are. He knows where we're going. He knows every word we speak. He knows every thought we think before we think it. Can you imagine that? God knows it all. But then later in the psalm, uh, David reinforces everything that we have read in Genesis 1 and 2. 
The psalmist clarifies that human life is sacred even from that moment of conception. So turn there with me, please. Psalm 139. And I want to begin at verse 13. Oh, I love these verses. David is so specific. Uh, I, I wish we could all understand. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I wish we could understand all the intricacies of these Hebrew words that David used uh, originally. But look at verse 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together. Where? In my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. David says, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. In other words, before anybody else knew I was there, before that pregnancy test, before there was any knowledge that a human being was being developed, God, you saw me there. You knew. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? You ever stop and think about God's thoughts toward you, how much he loves you? We just sang the, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. His thoughts toward you and me. David says they're precious because my life is precious. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the sands or the grains of sand. And when I awake, you are still with me. What a thought this morning that when you and I woke up, he was there. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. God's word leaves no doubt in Psalm 139. That from the moment of conception, each and every human life is precious to God. And that certainly means, as we read in Genesis 9, no one has the right, no one, to discount or diminish or devalue. Certainly no one has the right to destroy human life without answering to God. That brings us to, obviously, a, a practice that's been going on, you know, since, I guess, time immemorial. But it has been legalized in this country for, I guess, over 40 years now, abortion. And I just want to interject here. I want to, I want to say something to every woman or every man who's listening to me who has ever been involved in an abortion. There may be some women who have experienced that in your own life. Maybe some men who encouraged it or were in some way contributed to an abortion. And I just want you to know that the same God who wrote those very stern words in Genesis 9 is also a loving, merciful, forgiving God. And he said in his word, he had John record, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And I want you to know there is mercy with the Lord. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. Just like any other sin, he will forgive. And he will redeem. He's a redeemer. He's one who can, can, can restore us. So don't ever let the enemy tell you you're hopeless. That was done and you've, you, you have that memory of it and you can never get out from under that. Oh, yes, we have a God who redeems and restores. And this morning, as we have read this scripture and talked about the fact that life is precious, it is so wonderful as followers of Jesus that we can celebrate and, and we can be those who stand up for life. 
even the life of the unborn. And as we get ready to close, I, I want to encourage you to listen to a speech that I had the privilege of hearing this past week. It was delivered in the, to the U.S. Senate. Um, the senator was James Lankford of Oklahoma. Uh, some of you may be familiar with him. He made one of the most powerful pro-life speeches I have ever heard. And, and he made the case that human life is precious. And he delivered this message. It's about 15 to 20 minutes long. He delivered it with such grace, such kindness, such gentleness, even to those who are diametrically opposed to what he was saying. Um, I have a pretty good idea that he's probably a, a brother in Christ. I, I think he's probably a believer. But if you want to look that up on YouTube, it's uh, James Lankford, L-A-N-K-F-O-R-D. It would be worth your while to listen to that. He shares it so directly, so powerfully, so graciously, but he also gives us a clear picture of the opposition we face if we're going to defend uh, the life of the preborn. This morning, as we uh, close out this service, I want us to just thank the Lord for his word. I want to thank the Lord for the truth that we have. Uh, not only that we can know it, but the privilege and the joy of obeying the word of God and living by it every day. What a, what a privilege that is. And uh, Joe's going to come and, and close our service with a song in just a moment. Would you just pray with me? And let's thank the Lord for the truth. Oh, Father, we are so grateful that we, if we have the Bible in our hand right now, we are holding the truth of your holy word. And we are grateful to you that this isn't, someone's opinion this isn't just a, a someone's theory but we believe with all our hearts from genesis to revelation this is the word of the living god and this is in many ways your love letters to us so thank you for the truth thank you for the privilege that many of us have have just kind of uh, taken on this challenge and we are now memorizing that great chapter of Romans 8. But thank you, Lord, that we have the word and we not only have the privilege of knowing it, but also by the power of your Holy Spirit obeying your word. So, Lord, I thank you that, again, every single person who is listening to this right now, Lord, we can each just thank you for the fact that our lives are precious to you. And oh, I pray that we would be people who would uh, speak life to others. We would be people who would celebrate life because you are the God of our physical lives, but you are the God who ultimately wants us to experience spiritual life. You want us to know you and to know a right is life eternal. Thank you, Lord. We just give this time in singing, this time in the word to you. It's been good to be together, even though in the circumstance that we, we would have wished that we could be face to face. But Lord, to still be able to worship you this morning in this venue, we thank you. We praise you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.